My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. This episode is brought to you by Bias Agency Australia. It was a bit of a spontaneous thing. I sort of said, have you got any land left? Yep, we've got a, we've got a handful here. And I said, I'll take one of them. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're joined by property investor Grant Hubbard. Hubbard is an electrician by trade, though he considers himself to be a beginner property developer and investor. We'll also hear details about his journey including unforgettable travel to Japan, his spontaneous first property investment and his investments after that, that was a nine-lot subdivision. Hubbard started off initially in a different career and ended up falling in love with the trade as an electrician, which is what he does full-time. With his limited time as a property investor, he's figured out a way that he can do both smartly. He'll share what his typical day looks like. Lots of early starts. Um, so I'm an electrician. I work in the fire industry. So um, yeah, early start, um, straight out of bed. Um, yeah, just some a quick breakfast and uh, off to work. And yeah, put in my 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 hour day. And um, yeah, most days I like to do some exercise. So get to the gym or or uh, go for a run up Mount Kutha here in Brisbane. Before we dive into details of Hubbard's current life, let's explore where it began. Yeah, I grew up in Townsville, North Queensland, a um, little suburb called Heatley. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great place to grow up, nice for families. Um, it was a little bit small for my liking. Um, I always sort of thought about, you know, moving to up to the big smoke up in Brisbane. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so I grew up in Townsville, lots of sports. Um, lots of hanging out with sort of the kids around the, the neighbourhood, stuff like that. Um, yeah, lots of friends lived like locally to me. So, yeah, it was a, it was a great upbringing and, and two brothers kept me on my toes as well. So, When in school, Hubbard had a focus on sports. Uh, yeah, I did high school in, in Townsville as well. I, uh, I went to Kerwin High School there. Um, oh, I guess primary school was just, I was all about the sports, um, lots of cricket, soccer. Um, yeah, the, the academic side of it wasn't very, wasn't very good for me. I, I sort of, I didn't struggle, but um, it was just sort of not, a, not an interest to me to, to, you know, do a lot of schoolwork and homework was a struggle. But um, yeah, lots of sports and lots of hanging out with friends. So, 
Hubbard's journey demonstrates his belief that at school, not so much focus should be on academics. A lot of the time, if you if you concentrate too much on that, um, you know, you go down a different path eventually. You know, with uni and or my my story was sort of uni, um, working odd jobs into my trade. So yeah, it didn't really mean too much in the end. I wanted to be a vet actually to begin with, uh, which is kind of unusual considering I wasn't too academic. Um, I really loved animals and um, we always had family pets, dogs and cats and um, yeah, always had really good relationships with my with my dogs and animals and stuff. So yeah, I had an interest in being a vet. So sort of straight out of univers- uh, straight out of high school, I um, I went to uni to I got into zoology actually. I was sort of trying to um, get like a backdoor entrance into vet science. Um, not really a bit naive back then and, and sort of, you know, I better go to university because that's what everyone else is doing. And, and uh, I did have the vet thing, you know, in the back of my mind. So, um, yeah, went to university straight after school. Um, honestly, I did struggle um, straight away. It was, yeah, a bit of, bit of pressure to sort of go to uni, but struggled with the work and, you know, enjoyed the, the party time a bit too much as well. So... <laughs> After giving university a go and discovering it wasn't for him, Hubbard transitioned into full-time work at Crazy Clark's. I started university and, and in the beginning, it was, it was going quite well. It was a, it's, a, it's a tough schedule doing anything in the sciences. It's, you know, nine to five, five days. Um, I sort of got through the first six months okay and it, it started to taper off. And I, I actually, I actually pulled out of science and, and went into education. I thought, oh, well, maybe I can be a PE teacher. Um, maybe use the sciences as well in, in that regard. Um, again, I think I was just lying to myself a bit, thinking that I can I can get through the uni and um, yeah, the education sort of didn't work out. But um, I didn't tell my mum that, so <laughs> I um, I started actually working in retail, um, unbeknowingly to mum. Um, she does know now, so um, but yeah, I didn't tell her sort of I'd moved over to retail for for a little bit there. So I, I was working full time, sort of saying. Yeah, I'm going to uni. It's all good because, yeah. So I sort of kept that from mum for a little bit, but um, I came clean and look, she was fine. So I, I worked in retail for uh, a little period there, sort of in between um, getting the trade. So it took about six months for Hubbard to tell his mum he was no longer attending university, and he only worked at Crazy Clark's for another six months after. I'm getting early twenties here, so I'm thinking, you know, I need to sort something out. So I, I, I ventured off. And um, I've always wanted to work with my hands. It was it was sort of from a young age. I, I knew that um, you know going to uni wasn't really for me, but I knew I wanted to do something with my hands. What that was exactly, I'm not too sure. So I ventured into many things after that. Um, I, I did uh, a TA at a mechanic shop at a Toyota dealership for a while. Um, I did some air conditioning, construction, and and maintenance. Um, yeah, and then actually I, I fell into the electrician job through my brother actually. He's a refrigeration mechanic so and he was working locally in Townsville there and and um, it's a very short story. Basically, he came home one day and said, look, my boss is, is looking for an electrical apprentice and um, it's yours if you want it. Go and see him on Monday. So, <laughs> yeah, it was that easy. Well, it was that easy back then. So, um, yeah, had a quick meeting with the boss and I think – Oh, maybe a month later, I started my apprenticeship. So this is sort of early 20s, yeah. Hubbard has now been an electrician for around 14 years. After experimenting in a variety of professions, 
What intrigued him to pursue this career? Initially, yeah, it was just that that feeling of really wanting to work with my hands, but um, and also I had to commit to something. I got to the point where I, you know, I'd I'd thrown in the towel in a couple of things, and and um, I really committed to myself and just said, you know, I need to finish this apprenticeship. It'll be, you know, great for my future. And um, but it's a great job. It's um, you know, you're working with with good lads and or good ladies and good lads and and um, yeah, it's just a it's it's an e- well, no, I would not an easy job, but it's an enjoyable job and good camaraderie and good money, I guess, in the end. Harbert has clearly found success as an electrician. He shares how he was able to achieve this. Yeah, so the apprenticeship generally about four years. Um, mine went a little bit over, um, but yeah, you, you go to TAFE school and you and you do sort of two or three, I think it's about four weeks in in year one. Um, don't quote me there, but. Um, yeah, you, you sort of do four to six weeks of, of TAFE every every year. Um, lots of hands-on stuff, obviously, and you and you're working under a tradesman who, with any luck, is is a good bloke and and sort of helps you out nicely and makes you get into the roof space only you know once every few days instead of every day. So, <laughs> but um, oh look, it, it, just a range of things. You you know pulling cables and. Um, doing switchboards and we did I did a lot of air conditioning early on and I sort of jumped to a lot of different things um, throughout my apprenticeship which was good so all of his experience led him to an electrician specialty well currently sort of fire systems so maintenance repairs um, install um, new fire systems so all fire evacuation systems testing um, currently, we're working on um, Ipswich Hospital, so we're doing a lot of the testing and maintenance around there. You don't notice how much services there are when you, until you become a tradesman and it sort of catches your eye and you, you find yourself looking at buildings and you know checking, checking the stuff out when you go in there. It's weird. So. In this trade, Hubbard gets access to a lot of exciting properties. Look, worked in a lot of a high range of, of different things, but you know when you're working in the big mansions and they're getting built and you're you know, you're pulling cables through these things. That part might not be too fun when you're pulling cables, but you do take notice of, you know, how big these houses are and, you know, it, it, their interest does come early, you know, with regards to, I wish I had, I wish this was my house that I was worried about, you know. So, um, and then even just working in, in commercial stuff as well, it's, um, you know, I've, I've always had a little bit of interest in, you know, who owns this place and, and uh, how did they actually get this place and you know how much rent do you reckon they get and it was always questions I sort of was asking at the time and um, yeah I guess it, it sparked a little bit of interest in in property and and construction and stuff so well, as far as stories I mean there's there's heaps of stories on construction sites of all the shenanigans that goes on so probably um, not the safest not the safest things to mention on a podcast on Australia-wide podcast but this work also allows for Hubbard to see every bit of the site that he's working on. Especially with the fire industry, uh, when you're testing, you see every inch of the place. So, you know, it's, for instance, if you're working in a prison, you see inside the armory and you see inside, you know, the cells and, you know, you see every inch of, of every building. So, um, yeah, it, it does open your eyes up to what's in the background of of properties and, and, you know, houses and different places you go, yeah. Let's rewind to when Hubbard finished his apprenticeship and hear some of his travelling stories where the environment heavily contrasted his norm. 
I've got a kind of a weird story about that because it's I come from Townsville where it's hot, sweaty, and uh, yeah, really nasty weather to be honest. But um, I got the opportunity through um, a good friend of mine to actually go and go down south and go to the snow. Um, so I went from Townsville to the snow um, and worked a few few sort of back to back seasons um, down at Mount Buller in Victoria and then over in Japan up in Hokkaido. So. Um, so initially, I'd, I just worked in a ski shop down in Victoria. So um, fitting skis, snowboards, boots. I actually really liked fitting boots, weirdly. Um, I don't have a foot fetish or anything, but um, it was just a fun little environment to do boot fitting for some reason. So I was, I was quite good at that. Um, yeah, worked in a shop there. Sort of, um, I would go snowboarding in my lunchtime for a couple of hours. Um, and I lived the dream. It was It was such good times and... Um, everyone there is just the nicest people and having such a good time and lots of parties and and um, yeah, one of the rules for our, our shop was just make sure you get to work. I don't care. I don't care what state you're in, just get here. <laughs> Going from Victoria to Japan is a massive jump. How did this happen? A lot of the guys that 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 are in the snow industry that that do that, they they always do back to back seasons. It's just sort of they, they alternate the winters, so. Um, my bosses that were at Mount Buller there, um, yeah, they just sort of they sort of ask you if you're interested in going over to Japan. Um, initially, I said no because I was um, I, something inside me just was telling me that you know I needed to go home and and settle back down and and you know get a place and get a job. And so I actually did return to Townsville and start back up electrical work. And um, someone pulled out of Japan, and, and my boss rang me and said, "Look, Grant." I need you to come. Someone's pulled out, and by this time, I'd I'd been working for a couple of weeks, and I threw my tools down, and away we went. Looking back now, I can't believe I turned them down initially, but um, yeah, something was pulling me towards Japan. And the experiences that Hubbard had in Japan were unforgettable, including the little bit of the language that he was able to pick up. You pick it up automatically, just um, little things here and there. Um, it's but. Where I was in up in Hokkaido, there it, it is very westernized. There is a lot of a lot of Aussies, a lot of um, Americans. Um, there's a lot more English actually than than Japanese. But I, I did take an interest to to Japanese people and and the and the language, but sort of did, really didn't have the time to really de- you know, delve deep into it. But you do pick up odd things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it was nice to go to a restaurant and sort of, you know, say oishi and, um, you know, be able to order the food and, and introduce yourself. So I just touched on a little, a few little things here and there. Coming up after the break, Grant Hubbard will tell the story of his first property investment. My first property was I built a place actually in Mango Hill in, on the north side of Brisbane here. He shares some challenges of developing. With um, Bellbird Park, this is this has been dragging on a little bit because um, it, it's it, it's a highly developing area. We'll discover one of his aha moments. Well, I've, I saw the the growth in my Mango Hill property, and that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum, and you're listening to Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you. 
while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call. After coming home from his travels, Hubbard set off on his property investing journey. I came back and I got my job in the fire industry, which I'm still currently in. Um, and I, I just, I'm a, I've always been a really savvy saver. Um, I bought my first car when I was 17 with cash. And um, so I've managed to build up, um, you know, enough for a deposit pretty quickly. Um, and actually, my, my older brother bought a, bought a um, bit of land in Mango Hill there. And I went to sort of look at his land and he sort of was saying, oh, you know, there's a new train line, there's Coles and Ikea and everything's going up. This place is booming. Um, and it sort of just, it clicked something inside me that was like, oh, yeah, okay, I've got a bit of cash here. And, and um, yeah, I actually went home that afternoon, called up the, the land sales people and, yeah, it was a bit of a spontaneous thing. I sort of said, have you got any land left? Yep, we've got a, we've got a handful here. And I said, I'll take one of them. Hubbard performed minimal due diligence on this investment, but he had full trust in his brother's judgment. Looking back, it was, um, you know, now that I know you should really look into things a lot um, before you make make those kind of moves. But no, I was, I was, I sort of trusted my brother and, and everything he said resonated. I, you know, these big companies aren't going to these areas that are, you know, that are, that are dying. So... Um, yeah, that was just a, just off a whim. I said, yep, I'll take that one. I've sent the deposit through and away we go. The land was around 550 square meters and Hubbard bought it for 220000 From here, there was an amazing opportunity to build it. We did a little bit of looking around at different builders. Um, the process was actually really easy for me. Um, yeah, just found a builder and um, actually at the time, I, I lived with an interior designer as well. Um, one of my roommates was an interior designer, so we sat down in a matter of half an hour and got all the internals done. Um, and we really didn't have too many issues with the build. There was a couple of minor little things, but um, you know, from my background, it's, it was pretty easy to navigate around different things. And and um, yeah, the whole process was was really easy, and it, it sort of you know it streamlined into the property management side and got it all managed and rented out and. It's been doing quite well ever since. Although this investment was made off a whim, it turned out to be a great decision. I've, I've listened. I've heard all the horror stories of um, you know on these podcasts and stuff, and I've um, you know I did get lucky, very lucky on that one that I just off a whim made a decision, and um, the property has done really well, and yeah, very lucky. <laughs> Despite this investment being a success, Hubbard still had some learning moments along the way. No, like I said, it all went really smoothly. We had a couple of little building issues, but um, yeah, yeah, we, we got through them. And um, I actually, well, actually, one of the mistakes I did make was it, it wasn't a, a full turnkey. Um, so we had to do the landscaping. Um, I had to organize a different little things. So actually, my stepdad and I um, hired a backhoe and went down there and and built in the in the. The land and we put up a retaining wall and and built the fence up and 
So yeah, we did a little bit of work ourselves, which which again, my trade came in handy that you know we were able to do that. I guess that's a little lesson out of it that um, you know in the future, if I if I do do a new build, I want the full full package. I, I just want to grab the keys and walk straight in. After making this first investment, Hubbard kept up the momentum and expanded his property portfolio. So I've got that one there and then with that same brother that showed me that land, we've got a, um, a small development, well, a medium-sized development out at Bellbird Park, um, west side of Brisbane here. Um, so that's been ongoing for quite a while. That's a, a nine-lot subdivision. Um, so that one there, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just sort of more of a silent partner um, I, you know, put in the finances and, and my brother's sort of taken the reins on, on doing that development. Um, and actually we've just, me and my partner have just purchased another property, um, in Marsden in Queensland here, which is a, um, it's actually a six bed, three bath dual living property. Um, yeah, so it's a, yeah, it's a, well, it's an older style house, but uh, a good setup there. And that's on 1,450 square metres. So, yeah, I'm sort of looking into doing my own small development in the future with that bit of land. Yeah. Making investments in different areas allows for Hubbard to diversify his portfolio. The one at Bellbird Park was, again, was, was sourced completely by my brother. He sort of um, approached me and said, look, I've found this great bit of land um, again, like a bit like me, he's always been interested in, in doing development. Um, so yeah, that sort of, that sort of just fit the bill, that area. It was growing massively and, and it was a nice flat bit of land. And, um, yeah, so we've got all the, the DAs for that and we're just waiting for that sort of just to, we're doing a little bit of, um, feasibility at the moment. Um, but, uh, the one in Marsden, actually, I, um, I reached out to a buyer's agent buyer's agent you've had on the on the show before, um, Dragon Domofsky from Buyer's Agency Australia. And um, yeah, he was really good. He helped me out to, to find this block of land. Um, yeah, I, I must admit, I, I put, I put you know, a fair bit of trust in, in that process. Um, and we got a nice report back about the, the house and the land. And yeah, I guess we got a great deal. So it was a bit of a no-brainer, to be honest. We'll explore the Marsden deal and Hubbard's choice to use a buyer's agent in a future episode of Property Investory. For now, he tells some stories of his investing challenges. With um, Bellbird Park, this is this has been dragging on a little bit because um, it, it's it, it's a highly developing area. There's a, a big subdivision next door that our neighbours have been doing um, in behind the property, so it's there are a lot of subdivisions going on that area. So. We've sort of been in limbo for quite a while with our neighbours' um, subdivision, so we needed to get some access into a sewerage um, service. And yeah, it, it, the, the sort of the developer next door wasn't playing the game and wasn't sort of allowing us to to you know do what we needed to do. So we've been we've been in a holding pattern for yeah quite quite a few months now with that one. So that's it's been a little bit disappointing that we couldn't get the ball rolling on that one earlier. Um, yeah, I sort of always thought that other property developers, they sort of help each other out and, and you know, if, if you need to do that, it's, it's all good. We're all in this together, you know, we're all here to make money and, and, and you know, progress. But it's been a little bit annoying that we've sort of been in a holding pattern for, yeah, quite some time now, six, seven, eight months. So. 
again, that's that's set us back a little bit with because we had all the pre-sales done for those for those seven. Well, it's seven blocks because we've already done the front two. Um, so it's seven blocks in this in this um, this section. So we had all the pre-sales done. So they've actually fallen through. We've actually cancelled those contracts, and we're, we're, we're again we're just doing feasibility again with the current climate. So with the holding patterns over, we've got all our de- like all our approvals, but we're just doing another feasibility to find you know the best course of action for for the future. Does a setback like this impact profitability? Uh, look, it very well could. Um, there's a lot of demand in that area for for these plots of land as well. Everything's sold off, and so I don't think we'll, we'll struggle too much to, with demand in that area. Um, but again, it's just working the numbers and, and making sure that we're making the right decision. Well, again, we've had a little bit of luck with that one because we we. We've sold two of the blocks already, and that's that's um, we've put that straight on the mortgage. So it's uh, it's a positively geared property. The, the existing property is still rented out. So yeah, again, a little bit of luck there that we had tenants in there to to service the place while while all this was happening. Looking away from setbats, let's explore one of Hubbard's aha moments. I saw the the growth in my Mango Hill property. Um, I've since yeah pulled the equity out of that one to fund. Well, both these deals, um, you know, or contribute to funding. Um, just seeing the growth there was was unbelievable. It was um, it was really like it's opened up your mind to what else you can invest in, and um, and then off of the back of that, the, the Mango Hill property. I mean, doing a, a nine lot subdivision. I, I never thought that my second deal would be a nine lot subdivision, but um, although I did take a bit of a back seat, it's 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 exciting and. And um, yeah, when you run the numbers, it's you know if you do everything properly, it's it stacks up. And yeah, I guess I'm only a beginner, so it's the you know seeing that growth was great. And you know, this property was purchased in around 2017, and he will share with us some further details. Five hundred eighty-five thousand we bought that for. It's on five and a half thousand square meters. Yeah. So again, it was. Um, you know, this, this is quite a while ago, so so that that in itself was a great great buy. Um, the, sort of the plan was to to do the nine lot subdivision, and both of us own a plot of land out of it. So I guess you could probably say that you know three hundred thousand profit each. Um, you know, if we get a plot of land out of it, that's very very basic numbers there. But um, that that's the that was the original plan for us both to have our own plot of land out of this um yeah although it's taken quite a while to get to this point um you know with da approvals and these these other issues um i guess time wasn't really um a factor in this one it was just sort of gaining a bit of experience um getting that subdivision done and i mean if we come out with a plot of land even after you know seven eight years i think that's pretty good especially when the property has been set up you know, positively geared. It's been making money. We haven't had too many issues with the property itself. It, it's quite happily just sat there and, and done its thing while we were organising this in the background.
In a future episode of Property Investory, Grant Hubbard will explain why he decided to use a buyer's agent. I wanted a, a little bit of a helping hand to, to, to locate the place. Um, I guess, yeah, the confidence was a little bit low to sort of undertake that myself. We'll hear about the resources he uses along his property journey. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm a beginner, but um, I've really found the podcast um, handy. He will delve into the importance of a good support system when investing. Yeah, I mean, you, you, if I tried to do this myself, there's no way I'd be in the position that I am. So, yeah, very grateful. And that's next time on Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.